This podcast is made possible by Lilly Oncology. Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the award-winning podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. Our guest today is Dr. Jenny Shang, Assistant Professor of Oncology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Dr. Shang mainly treats people diagnosed with breast cancer and helps them live with, through, and beyond cancer by working with their patients to create the best treatment plans and manage any side effects treatment may cause. Dr. Shang is also a research member of GRASP guiding researchers and advocates to Scientific Partnerships, a nonprofit that connects cancer researchers and advocates so they can learn from each other. Dr. Shank joins us today to talk about health literacy and why it's so important for anyone who's been diagnosed with breast cancer. Dr. Shank, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to talking more about how we can address health literacy and some strategies we can implement to improve that. Excellent, because my first question, sort of the lead-in, is that according to statistics from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, only about 12% of adults in the United States really have good health literacy. So conversely, that means that about 88% of people may lack some of the skills they need to, to really manage their health well. So in case anybody doesn't know, can you explain to us what health literacy is? That is a great question, and it's a good place to start. So I will give you the formal definition of what health literacy is, and then I'm going to tell you what I think it practically means. So health literacy was a term that was coined by the Institute of Medicine, which is a nonprofit organization that works outside of the government, and their goal is to provide unbiased advice to the public and decision makers. So in essence, they've decide, de, uh, defined health literacy as the degree to which individuals have the capacity to obtain, process, and understand basic health information and services needed to make appropriate health decisions. So for example, it includes the ability to understand instructions on prescription drug bottles, appointment slips, uh, medical education brochures, doctor's directions, consent forms, and those are the kind of nitty-gritty day-to-day things that need to be done by a patient in order to ensure that they're getting the best health care. Okay, so how did those statistics, the, the 12 and the 88, how do those match up from what you've seen in your practice personally? Does that sound about right? So I will say that I think those statistics are an average across the country, and they really don't address specific pockets where we know that health literacy may be lower and certain areas where we know it will be higher. So health literacy as a whole, it's a common thread through all of our programs and a large portion of the people we serve may be uh, medically underserved. And so the reasons for limited literacy skills might be related to um, cognitive decline in older patients, learning disabilities, lack of ed- educational opportunity, and also just the simple 
concept of having reading abilities decline as, as, as one ages. So I will say that in my practice, I do think that the health literacy is higher than 12%, but I will argue that in the population that I serve, um, which tends to be more in a community practice, closer to the suburbs, it does seem to be higher than that. But I do practice and do research out of downtown Baltimore City as well. And so we know that um, the health literacy in that population is lower. I think the important thing to know is that the assumption should be that we should be assessing people for health literacy and that we should acknowledge that the majority of people may not have all the skills to interpret medical information and to ensure that they're getting the best um, health care. Okay, let's let's get some specific examples. So how does having good health literacy or not having good health literacy, how would that affect someone who's been diagnosed with breast cancer? Could you give us a, a few examples specifically? Absolutely, Jamie. So breast cancer patients are faced with numerous complex uh, decisions that they have to make and a huge amount of information. So for instance, Accessing healthcare services is one of the main issues that someone who's diagnosed with cancer has to be able to uh, deal with. So for instance, I'm a medical oncologist. My job is to figure out if chemotherapy or other therapies are appropriate, but I also work with a surgical oncologist and a radiation oncologist. And so this care is complex. When you're given a breast cancer diagnosis, you may start to not just see one type of doctor, you may see all of us. You may need to see a genetic counselor as well. And so it's so complex. And sometimes accessing those services and understanding who to go to can truly be a challenge. Also, I think that analyzing the risks and the benefits of certain therapies can be truly challenging. I know from my experience with my patients, when I'm describing the benefits of a certain chemotherapy or a certain endocrine therapy, for instance, that I'll talk about what I think the impact is on survival or on the, the risk of a cancer coming back. And really having someone appreciate that and to understand that in their own terms is really, really important. I'll give you another example. I prescribe a lot of medication and understanding how to take a medication is extremely important. So if I'm prescribing an oral therapy, making sure that someone knows how much to take, what the name of the medication is, what it's used for is critical. And when I'm giving someone chemotherapy, it's important for them to understand this is how you get it. This is how it's administered. This is how often you have to come in. What are the other things like blood work that might be related to it? So I'm giving a huge amount of information to patients each time. On top of that, I'm giving them test information. So they may get blood work. They may get a scan, whether it's an CT scan, an MRI, a PET scan, et cetera. And I have to be able to relay those results, but it's up to the patient to really interpret the information that I'm giving them. So as you can imagine, patients have a lot to absorb and to really internalize when I'm explaining all the aspects of breast cancer care. Right. And all that's happening probably I'm not going to say this across the board, but in many cases, somebody may be very upset, 
frightened, scared, anxious. So they may not be super focused on what you're saying anyway, because inside they're thinking, oh my gosh, I have cancer. Oh my gosh, I have cancer. So they may be a little bit distracted and then trying to also at the same time absorb all that and process all that information. Yes, Jamie. And I think that you highlight a really important aspect of this, which is when you're told you have a breast cancer diagnosis, there is a slew of emotions that you are dealing with. And adding on top of that, the need to understand medical information really makes that difficult. I think that some studies have shown that during these visits, some of our patients just retain, and most of our patients retain maybe 10 to 20% of the information that we're relaying to them. And so when you really think about that, you have to think about what is the most important information that I need to convey. And from a patient perspective, the thought is, what did I get from what the doctor was telling me? Right. Right. Okay. So I'm, and I'm assuming too, that if somebody does have pretty good health literacy, even if they're distracted, that can help them absorb and process a little bit more of the information than somebody who's distracted and say has very poor health literacy. Absolutely. I think that you really have to take those together. You have to address this emotional aspect of what's going on when you get a breast cancer diagnosis. And then you have to also be able to understand how do how does this person process information? And the important thing to know is that there's different components of health literacy. So for instance, there are individuals who are very visually literate. What that means is that they're able to understand visual information and graphs really well. There are some people who are more computer literate. They're able to look things up on their phone or their computer very quickly and get that information. There's also numerically or computationally literate individuals. That means that they're actually able to reason numerically or able to, to understand calculations. And so really to think about health literacy as a whole, there's actually many components. And to be entirely skillful in all of those domains is really a challenge. Oh, I bet. I bet. Now, I've also read that people who have lower health literacy are more likely to say they're in poor health, and they're also less likely to take advantage of preventive services, maybe like screening mammograms. And I'm assuming this is because maybe they don't see the value in it or understand the value. So do you see this in your practice? Does that sound accurate? And and again, I'm not trying to generalize. I'm just, you know how sometimes studies find things, but then in the real world, they may be a little bit different. So I'm trying to reconcile those two things. I do think that the studies do parallel what I see in clinic. So studies have shown that low literacy uh, poorly impacts uh, the incidence of cancer, dying from cancer, which is called mortality and quality of life. So for instance, you mentioned screening. So cancer screening information may be ineffective if an individual does not understand the importance of doing that or what are the uh, potential results from that and the actions that need to be taken after that. And so if screening isn't done really at a prompt time or in the right manner, then patients may actually be diagnosed at a later stage. And treatment options of actually may not be fully understood as well. So some patients may not receive certain treatments or 
decide to pursue certain treatments because they don't actually fully understand perhaps the risks or the benefits. Or sometimes there's actually this other aspect of health literacy, which is uh, the cultural context and understanding where people are coming from. And that's why it's so important to really get to know each person at an individual level. What is their family history? Do they know anyone who's been diagnosed with breast cancer? How have they done? What kind of treatments did they get? And asking that individual patient how they feel about it, because that can oftentimes influence the type of information that they're receiving and how that how they're processing that information as well. Okay. Okay. So my own personal suspicion is that a lot of people really don't think about their level of health literacy unless they're diagnosed with a serious disease, because why would they? They really don't need to use it. So how can people improve their health literacy? So I think there are a few things that patients can do, and I do think it's a two-way street. I think as providers, whether you're a doctor or advanced care practitioner or a nurse, we all need to take steps to improve health literacy. So, you know, I think from a provider perspective, I think identifying those literacy levels is really important and trying to simplify the language and using shorter sentences or even defining some of those technical terms that we're using are really important. But from a patient perspective, in terms of things that one can take to really improve that, I think there are a few things. So number one, I think that you should ask questions and you should feel comfortable doing that. There's no question that is too silly and there's no question that should really go unturned when it comes to your life, your health, understanding breast cancer and your treatment options. And it's also okay to tell a doctor to just slow down a little bit, or do you mind repeating that again? I personally talk pretty quickly. So I have to be really mindful when I'm talking to someone who's just gotten a breast cancer diagnosis, you know, asking them how they feel about the information I just told them and if they have questions about it. Not all doctors can do that. Sometimes we also have time constraints. And so I really urge patients to advocate for themselves. I also recommend if your doctor is using a word that you don't understand and they've now repeated it two or three times, just ask them, what does that word mean? Also, you should take notes in a way that you understand them. So for instance, sometimes it's a it's a checklist of items, or sometimes it is a, a graph or something like that, that really helps you to better understand the process. Another option is perhaps writing or reading is truly a challenge. And I think you should feel comfortable telling your doctor that and perhaps requesting a visual saying, I really understand pictures better than words or requesting a video. I think this is I'm really impressed by the extent of materials that we have now that really suit different types of learning styles. So you can ask the doctor, is there a video that can explain what you've just mentioned to me? And so oftentimes we can, you know, send a link or provide a link that does that. And lastly, I think you can always repeat what the doctor is saying to you. And instead of, you know, perhaps sometimes I see people nodding their head or saying yes or moving onwards, just repeat what that doctor just spent two minutes talking to you about to make sure that you're processing it and understanding it in the same way. 
Okay. Sort of putting it into your own words and then the doctor can tell you if you're understanding correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Now, so we've talked a bit, quite a bit there about patients. Now, do you think it makes sense for everyone, like say somebody who's never had a cancer diagnosis to improve their health literacy? And I'm thinking of it, especially now as we're living in this time of pandemic, a vaccine or vaccines, plural seems imminent. And a lot of words are being thrown about mRNA vaccines, you know, this kind of vaccine. So does it make sense for us all to kind of sort of study up? Jamie, absolutely. And I think that's something even I have to keep up with, even though I am a physician, because I think that anything that falls with that falls out of your range of knowledge is something that requires some, some work. And for instance, you know, health literacy really is important for all people because we know that when we really fully understand perhaps a medical condition or a treatment option or a screening measure or a vaccine, that that can truly impact us at an individual level and a societal level. There are implications with health literacy and the economy, as well as employment and education and community activities and just overall well-being. So I think that it really falls on all of us to make a concerted effort. It doesn't matter if you're on the provider end or the patient end. And it doesn't just focus on breast cancer. I think that overall health should also be a priority because we know that low health literacy can impact the number of people who get flu shots. It can impact diabetes management and uh, use of prescription drugs. So I think that it has implications uh, in many, many areas in medicine. Okay, thank you. So my last question is really about online information, because again, this is my suspicion, not proven by research, but that a lot of people, if they want to improve their health literacy, they're going to do an internet search and sort of look at the first few results that come up and call it good. But I've also seen in my own family I've seen this approach cause really big problems because perhaps the sources weren't the best. Obviously, full disclosure, breastcancer.org is an online source of breast cancer information, but I am very proud to say that all our information is reviewed by medical experts before it's put online. So could you tell us from your perspective how is it best to navigate online health information like this if someone's really trying to, you know, improve their health literacy? And especially now, as I said, in this in the pandemic time, online research seems to be the easiest and probably for some folks the only way to go because you can't go anywhere. Um, how is the best way to sort through all that? Sure. Uh, so foremost, you mentioned breastcancer.org. And I think something very simple that one can do is to really vet the types of websites. So if you look at even the end of a website, if you look at the URL, for instance, if it says .org, that identifies that there is a nonprofit organization that is really behind that website. And that usually means it's a professional group. It may be a scientific, medical, or research society, or an advocacy group. If you see .gov, that means that it identifies a U.S. government agency. And if it says .edu, that identifies an educational institution. It could be a school, a college, or a university. Now, you will often see a .com, which means that it's commercial. 
So I always tell people to be a little bit more cautious with those websites. And I think some simple steps are asking five questions whenever you're looking at some online health site or downloading an app, which is number one, you want to ask who's running or creating this site or app. And number two, you want to say, what is the site or app promising or offering? And three, you should ask when, when was this information written? When was it reviewed? Is it up to date? Is it current with current with the medical information that's available? Next, you should ask where this information is coming from. Is it based on scientific research? Is this anecdotal, which means it comes from someone's personal experience? And lastly, always why. Why does this site exist? What's its mission? Is it trying to sell you something? Is it trying to convince you of something? And so I think those are some really simple steps that allows you to have a more thoughtful approach when looking at online materials and that who, what, when, why, where type of reasoning can really help people to filter through some of those websites. Excellent. Dr. Sheng, thank you so much. This has been really informative and helpful. I appreciate your insights. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for really conducting a podcast on such an important topic, Jamie. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.